Next up on Inside the SCCA, Flagtronics. Welcome to Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky. Uh, tonight we are going to retry an episode that we tried to do a couple of weeks ago. And uh, this was uh, an episode about the new Flagtronic system that the SCCA is uh, going to start implementing here at the uh, runoffs coming up here in, uh, in, I guess, gosh, now, what, six weeks? Wow, that's scary, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Um, much. Can't wait for it. Yeah, it's it's going to be good. I've got great guests tonight. I've got uh, James Ballinger, who is the head honcho over at Flagtronics. And uh, I have good morning. Uh, good evening, I guess. Uh, I don't even know why I would say morning. It's morning somewhere. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. So they tell me. Um, uh, and also, I've got uh, Todd Burris, who is the 2019 national champion. Sorry. Yeah. Wow, my memory's doing better than I expected. Uh, 2019 national champion in Spec Miata. And uh, Todd's also has a ton of experience with Flagtronics because he also races um, a lot with uh, Champ Car. And uh, for those of you who are watch our channel, I also am part of the uh, Champ Car, Inside Champ Car team. We do the same type of podcast for them. So I am, I am very familiar <laughs> with Flagtronics and how it works. And uh, I, uh, I will give my opinions and thoughts on it as well. Uh, before we get started, I just want to say right off the top that none of us here speak for the SECA. Um, I, as all of you know, uh, this podcast is independent of the club, and I've done it this way on purpose so that I can um, I can give my opinion without anybody wondering if I'm my opinion is swayed uh, by the money coming in. Uh, but I do have, obviously, a good relationship with the club because they keep coming on and, and joining me for episodes. If they didn't like me, they'd stop They'd stop doing it. But we do have tough conversations here from time to time. This is not one of those. I don't think this is a tough conversation at all. Um, but uh, we will talk about that as well. All right, let's get right into it. James, we're going to start with you. I asked the same question of everybody who is on this show before we get into all of the nitty-gritty. And that is, how did you get mixed up in this crazy sport that we love? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I, I got involved years ago. Um, coming out of high school, I was interested in cars, and I chose a college where I knew they had a Formula SA program. And um, I went immediately into Formula SA, where we go in uh, in that program and build a, a ground-up open-wheel racer, uh, which is, um, we'd run it in AMOD. They have their own class in some areas now for Formula SA. Yep. And um that was a, an amazing uh, project. It, it really gave us um, a whole lot to do. We learned machining, welding, electronics, uh, design. You, you get everything there, depending on you know how the team is structured and everything. So I just carried that forward. I worked a lot on the electronics. Um, I did CNC machining and welding. Um, and I went to work for an ECU manufacturer right out of, of college and have just continued on from there. So I uh, after that ECU manufacturer, I co-founded a company that does uh, powertrain uh, control systems and um, a lot of uh, high-performance aftermarket components, and then started uh, Ballinger Motorsports. We've been doing that now. Uh, we had our 20th anniversary recently, so congratulations! Um, thank you. Uh, getting getting up there in the years, I guess. But uh, Flagtronics has started uh, later, 
um, when we were looking at some of the events and realized we could leverage some of our experience from the Ballinger Motorsport side, where we were doing custom development and we were doing a lot of electronics development to simply make the racing better, both, both for ourselves. Um, and I, I say that because a lot of our staff does amateur racing also. Um, we, we get out there, we're racing, we're, we're going through the same uh, issues that everyone else sees um, and have the same you know, price issues and that kind of thing as well. So um, going out and um, seeing situations where vehicles were, were problematic and um, being able to do something about it, realizing we could make everyone safer at low cost and just make uh, the whole atmosphere better for everyone. So sure. it's, it's really just been a, a series of, of motorsports for me since um, college, just nonstop motorsports. Love it. Love it. Todd, same question. What was your first entry into, oh, we lost your light. That's always how it works. Light's perfect right up until I ask you a question. What was your first entree into motorsports? Um, well, let's see. In 1998, I uh, decided to go motorsports racing. I was flying um, flying aircraft and um, decided, hey, you know what? I really want to do this. And got involved with uh, SCCA. Went to a three-day uh, three road racing school with an uh, instructor mm -hmm. named Bob Fowler. And um, after that road racing school, um, uh, it was hooked. I was hooked and, you know, uh, ran everything from back in the day was ITS, ITA, ITB on the cords and stuff. And, uh, and then in 2003, the spec Miata came out. Um, so we've built three or four spec Miatas. I was part of the OPM team at that point and went to the first arc in 2003 and from there, it was Prospect Miata, and then BSI went on with BSI and and went, um, you know, MX5 Cup, which is now Global Cup, went IMSA racing with uh, BSI, with Piper, with, um, you know, with a whole bunch of different teams, Irish Mike's Racing, and then WRL. And then um, as that kind of all faded away as we, as we age, um, started racing Champ Car, um, where, you know, Champ Car was, was fantastic. It was 8, 12, 14 our races which we had never done before but when you get a double yellow and pace car comes out collects the field you know 15 20 minutes later and then they the evs come out and clean it what's going on and then back to green you go um and in the last um two three years where ballinger has come out with a thing called fragtronics really just faces the um changes the face of racing right point where um you know no more pace car no more uh, the whole field slows down and the EVs come out, clean up the, clean up the incident. And you're back to racing with sometimes within five, six, seven minutes because the EVs understand that the field comes down. So right. you really got to give it up to Flagtronics for being that innovative to have something in the car that brings everybody under control and, uh, you know, instant feedback to drivers about slowing down and, sure. and getting on the pace and, Sure. And going from there, I'm not trying to spoil the whole thing right away, but <laughs> it, okay. really just, it really, it really has chased, changed the face of Champ Car and the fact that, you know, in 14 hours of Daytona, 14 hours of Sebring, we didn't have a pace car come out once, you know, and I think the longest we went double yellow was 12 minutes in 14 hours. Yeah. So uh, it's just, um, it's a tribute to Flagtronics and understanding a need. Yeah, definitely. And holding that need and bringing it to the forefront. Definitely. 
All right, so James, there's uh, there's components to this system, and mm-hmm. uh, there are there's the the part that goes in the car for the driver, which I'm sure most of our drivers are most interested in. Uh, there's also the components in in race control, the components on each corner, uh, and um, and then uh, the bits and pieces that need to let it all talk to each other. So, give us the Reader's Digest condensed version of how it all works. Sure. So. We've got equipment through throughout the track. Um, we have our we bring our own network to the track, and we have a relatively small device here. We wanted to make it uh, very capable of being bright and very compact. So that's our FT two hundred unit. That's the one we've started with. There will be a product family of different offerings down the road, but the FT two hundred um, is meant to go in the car and be extremely bright, and you can. Get, get different flag conditions. Right. Uh, so that's the, the in-car component. Uh, we have lots of different mounts for that and we have uh, batteries for it as well. So um, you can have that without vehicle power potentially. Uh, it has a GPS on the back of it. So on the, the back of the, the harness here, there are two elements. There's a main harness and the main harness has the ability to hook into five volts. Uh, if you have a USB connection, it can go into 12 volts for your main power and it has a GPS connector at the back. Cool. Um, so the GPS is uh, its own standalone, so you can unplug everything. We also have the um, hardware that goes around the track. Um, the corner workers have their own remotes here. Yep. And uh, right now it's a, a green flag, um, but they have different buttons that they can push. Right. Um, so they can, and if we can, that'll work eventually there. We've got uh, waving yellow here mm-hmm. at the bottom and then a green flag at the top. So it shows the corner worker both conditions. Um, they're able to control everything at their corner with the remote and it can be set for multiple corners. Then we have a full track remote and that can do all the full track conditions. Uh, right. And that's usually in race control. Right. Um, that's uh, easily controlled by someone who's doing race direction or we have multiple uh, controllers in, in race control. And we've set it up so that it's very modular. So we have a antenna here that's set up, and sure. this is a we call a one-channel broadcaster. So you can be as simple as having a full-track controller, a um, single-channel broadcaster, and in-car units, or you can have panels. Um, we're using panels with Champ Car. We're using panels with uh, Trans Am, and and um, those are extremely visible and bright. Right. Um, and they come in different sizes, so you can get them configured um, in different sizes for the series. So when and you then say there are a couple pieces that go around the track, they're they're broadcast pieces. But right. fundamentally, this this system is built so that you can go all the way from, um, basically a mom and pop track that just has one little broadcaster, one little piece of equipment, and one remote, and control every corner, all the way up to a full scale, um, you know, as big as as Coda, for example, where they have twenty five corners and they have, um every control that you'd reasonably want. You'd want to see if cars have an accident. You want to see what their speeds are. You want to see where they are. You want to see where all the safety vehicles are. You want to see where the ambulance is. You want to see everything about the track and know every detail around that track right. uh, all at once. So you said panels. Um, that would be like um, a big light at a, fl- at a flag station that, that acts in a similar way as a flag that the right. drivers would see from outside the car, correct? Yeah, so I, I think the easy thing to point to is sort of the, the Formula One style panels, um, and they're also in Indy. Uh, so our panels are very similar to those in form and function. Uh, they come in different sizes, and 
Um, Champ Car Travels with theirs is an example. So they they have a, a smaller package, and then Trans Am also actually travels with theirs, and they're they're larger ones that um, get extremely bright and very large for the for the drivers there. Right. Um, but it's at every corner station. Um, so we put those in ideal locations, and um, that's not always where the corner station is. Um, when you place a corner station, you you put it there so that humans can reach it and uh, they can be safe which isn't necessarily your criteria for the panel sure. itself. You can put a panel in a place that has better visibility than the safest location that someone can easily access. Right. Um, so we, we get to actually improve upon visibility that happens at the track in some locations. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure people can point out, you know, some corner stations that are in non-ideal locations for, right. for good reasons often. Um, but, you know, we're able to have that in-car unit and also concurrently have that um, larger uh, sort of sure. large display on the side of the track that's also bright in an LED. So, um, so Todd, but, every flag station's in the perfect spot for you to see it, right, at all times, right? <laughs> perfect world at a perfect track. No, <laughs> it's not. Um, yeah, they're definitely not. But the panels that he's speaking of become very bright even during the day and right. you just can't not notice them. Yeah. It's um, there's, there's obviously any, uh, anyone who spent any time behind the wheel of a race car in the heat of battle knows uh, that you're not always looking for a flag at a flag station. Uh, sometimes the flag stations aren't in the perfect spot um, for visual, for, for the driver to see a flag. Um, I, I, I've been a flagger for, for many decades, sadly to say, uh, <laughs> it just shows how old I am. Uh, but there are days when I would, I would be at a flag station and I would wave a flag. And in my head, I'm saying, there's not a single car out there that's seeing me. They're, they're, yeah. they're not looking at me. If they're, if they're, if they're trying to drive fast, I'm not where they're looking. Um, so we all know of those types of situations. Um, one of the other things, James, you mentioned is that there's a controller at the corner station who would mm -hmm. operate that controller sarcasm alert. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the the corner marshal there who's sitting in the stand oh, so, or standing in the stand. So we're or, not we're not eliminating corner marshals. No. Oh, okay. no. We're we're giving them a lot of freedom to act. I, right. One of the nice things talking about those those displays and getting the units in the car is that we're we're really just giving the corner marshals a tool to get that information directly right. to the driver. So as you were saying, you know, someone's waving a flag at their their stand. Um, and they feel like no car is seeing them. Some, some. I mean, it depends on the stand, the situation, sure. and the track. Sometimes that's a little too true. Yeah. Um, and this, this really gets you that tool to to press a button on the remote here and get that information directly in front of the driver and directly in their line of sight. Right. Um, and we've got the the common controls for the corner marshal, and this can be set up for um, multiple corners. Someone calls in sick that morning, which is a thing that happens. But the, the way that we talk to the corner marshals is we meet with them in the mornings and we, we talk to them in the afternoons and everything, um, is just to, to explain to them that this is a way to communicate with the driver, um, that you haven't had before. You, you right. get to communicate directly with them. And, uh, a lot of corner marshals have actually used systems when F1 has come through, um, between, uh, in the, uh, they use a similar system, um, but between Indianapolis Motor Speedway and, and Coda. So we, we actually talked to them. And one of the things that's nice about this uh, setup uh, is that it is 
easy to grab. It's portable. Um, you can turn around and, and see it quite easily, but you can walk around with it too. So if, if you need to climb, walk out of the stand uh, for some reason, uh, especially if there are two uh, corner marshals right. um, or something's going on, you gain some freedom here. You can, you can actually um, step away from your you know, sort of exact position. Right. Um, I, so uh, but, I'm going to run a little bit of video here. Um, that uh, Todd gave us from his in-car camera. And uh, this is video from, uh, from VIR, I believe. And uh, it shows the, the unit doing several different things. You can see the, um, the unit right up in the center console there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was uh, flashing green, and now it just turned flashing yellow, Todd. And... Um, saw a car pass you just as you were past driving uh flashing yellow so i think that pass probably came before the the, the yellow came out we won't talk about that part um but you can see in broad daylight todd how bright the unit is very easy to see in the car it's um and it sits right next to your dash so it that thing changes color and you're always looking at it you're like whoa okay it just grabbed your eye yeah um and you can you mount it in a lot of different places, and and James, the 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 brightness is adjustable, correct? It is. So on the current units, um, we've got a, a unit here. It's actually got a light sensor that's on the front, and it's got a light sensor that's on the back. And you can program it to look at one or the other, depending on your install, or just the brighter of the two or the average. Right. Um, and you can actually change. There are several brightness settings, but you can make it extremely bright. <laughs> um, there are fixed settings where they don't evaluate the, the sensor. So if you just want to force it to be on a value, and then there are three settings. So it's low, medium, high when it's looking at the sensor and low, medium, high when it's not looking at the sensor. And in our software, everything is programmable. We give you total freedom to change it in any possible way you want. So you can say, if the sensor is seeing this, then I want it to be this brightness um at any given point yeah, but you you've got six curves in there right and it will actually dump out some of that information over the can bus connection too so you can you can send that out over can bus to uh potentially a dash you can send it out to a telemetry system mm. uh, you can send it out to a logging system and some of the nice things about that you can go back through your logs and your analysis afterwards and you don't have to try to correlate when was there a yellow flag and go look at speed dive or whatever and try to figure out, all right, when was it yellow? When was it not yellow? Which laps were this, which laps were that to actually evaluate, you know, what your average was and how you were doing and that sort of thing. You, you get to see it all real time in your data. Right. Uh, Brian Straczynski is in our chat and has a, a good question that we're going to get to a little bit later in the show, Brian. Uh, anyone else who's watching, if you have questions for James or Todd, or me, um, throw them in the chat there, and we will get to them uh, in, in in a little bit because uh, I definitely want to get people's questions answered. Now, um, James, the system is is pretty regularly evolving, right? Because I know that uh, every once in a while, I I hear my friends over in the other series say, you know, we're going to get everybody to do a new uh, a new firmware update, and with every firmware update comes new features, right? Most of the time. Yeah. So um, we, we have some behavior changes that, that come out over time, but mostly it's just increasing levels of feature set for the for the customer over time. Um, it is when we look back on a year ago, 
each year, the amount of changes is, is, is quite large. And it's all in the same product. It's all been in the same um, hardware. So we, we built it with uh, glorious overkill in mind at the beginning, knowing that we wanted to be able to add a lot to it. Um, and, and we've been fortunate that we got all of those estimations right. We got everything ahead of time, and it's it's got uh, years of use ahead of it. So, one one nice example is at VIR twenty four, which was um, the the video was actually from. Uh, we changed the code thirty five from an individual override. In other words, if you were going around the track and it was code thirty five, and you went into a local yellow, it would show local yellow. We changed that so that it was like a red flag, uh, full track condition where it overrides um, all local conditions. Right. And the reason for that was that what we found is drivers would go into the local yellow zone, which is where the incident was, and they were previously going 35 miles per hour, and they would actually end up nailing the throttle and speeding up through the exact incident zone. Right. Uh, and then they'd come back down as soon as they hit that code 35. Uh, after the zone was finished. So making it an override just maintained the same speed around the track all, all, all over the place. And um, that's one of those features that the worker, safety workers are just absolutely thrilled about. It's hard to overstate how much positive feedback we get from them and how much they say they can do their jobs safer, faster, and right. better because they don't have to worry about a car going um, 120 miles per hour on the back straight six feet from them, which is what some right. series are, you know, even even when a car is off pace, if their normal pace is 160 miles an hour, they might still be doing 120, 140 sure. under a yellow condition on that back straight. Right. But under a code 35, they, they have confidence that um, that vehicle is going to be safe. Right. Uh, not only because the code 35 has been set, which uh, purple exists in, in at some tracks and some series now, but because we, we actually enforce it. Um, and so that that uh, has been game changing for the series and right. has gotten a lot more green track time, just as an example case of, of something that's changed over time. We'll get to um, the enforcement component of this in a minute, um, Todd. So so one thing we don't know yet is how SCCA is going to implement the system. <clears throat> um, we're going to roll it out at the runoffs of, on a voluntary basis. Um, and there are I, I don't think. This is my opinion because no one has told me. I don't think they're going to be able to use the purple 35 functionality at the runoffs because there's nothing in the SCCA rule book that talks about a purple 35. Um, my guess is that once we get going with this, that may be something that comes, I sure hope it is, something that comes into the system uh, because at the runoffs, since it's voluntary, not everybody's going to have the unit, which makes it impossible to really use the purple 35. Um, so my suspicion is that for this first runoffs, um, it'll be there for people to see how it works, to give feedback and talk about that. Um, but so for folks may have no idea what purple 35 is, Todd, explain it to me. And we're watching the video. So you can see yeah. on the video that the purple 35 is, is right in the middle of the screen. Uh, it's literally, uh, it flashes purple with the number 35. So now that's what it does, but in practicality, Todd, how does it work? Well, oh, just a quick explanation is over the past two years, it's changed. Every time we go to Champ Car, it's changed until this last weekend where uh, James said, you know, we had the last firmware. So um, Dana, who was uh, implementing this, basically 
when it says DB, it's a flashing double yellow. Right. In in the uh, in the unit, we have seven seconds to slow down to 35 miles an hour, which is what you'll see in the video. So when you see DB double yellow or split yellow, that's a double yellow, and we know we have to go 35. So we have seven or eight seconds to get down to 35 miles an hour, and everybody seems to slow down at the same pace. Um, then you're at 35 miles an hour for oh, in that particular incident, we went 1.5 laps. So I was about 100 yards behind the BMW that just passed me right before we went double split yellow. Um, as we were coming down the back straightaway, it goes split. It goes to local yellow, and it gives you five seconds basically to hammer down and get back up to speed. So in this in this process, when you have 100 or that in that instance, we had 89 cars on the track. There was a car about 150 yards behind me and a car 100 yards ahead of me. And when we went back to green, they were the same distance. I just was looking out the window and we went back to yellow. I missed it. So I fell behind a little bit. Right. So I even got on the radio and said, miss that one, you know, but uh, the guy behind me missed it also. So he really didn't close down, but it's um, it, uh, it, it really makes it nice because we didn't have to wait for a pace car. Right. We didn't have to, uh, you know, get behind the pace car, collect the field, which takes another seven or eight minutes and then slow down. And then the EVs rolled. It's as soon as they saw the split yellow, because I believe they have controllers in the EV vehicles. As soon as they saw that split yellow, they rolled. I mean, we're slowing down to 35 and they're passing us at 90. It's pretty crazy how it works that, um, that they, the feedback, we bring donuts to most of the occasions and give them to the EV guys. And in the beginning, they're like, what is going to go on here? And at the <laughs> end of the night, they come and they're like, this is the best thing right. we've ever experienced because 90 cars at 30 miles an hour, totally in control, gives them all the power in the world to go by and do what they have to do. Right. And the yellow flag, as we all know, even under a double yellow flag, there's no speed limit with the yellow flag in the rule book. So, you know, and a double yellow, you know, the, the, the job is to pack up to the pack as quickly as possible so that you can get the EVs out there. But that, that could still be, you know, 100 miles per hour. And I've worked as an EMT on a highway, and when cars are flying by you at an accident scene at 65 miles an hour, it is a character-building moment. So <laughs> I can only imagine as an EV operator at a racetrack where the bunch of cars who have roll cages and helmets who have little fear inside the, inside the cockpit, it's even scarier. So um, that's one of the few jobs I haven't done at the racetrack is work EV. Um, but I can only imagine what that can be like. So with the purple 35, it immediately brings everybody down or within seven seconds, which is darn near immediate to 35 miles per hour. And the, as you said, the EVs can launch into action immediately with the confidence that they're going to be in a much safer position. Um, and so, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to tell you at the, um, at the Daytona 14, they, EV guys had never seen the 35. Mm -hmm. And in the first five laps, we had our first double yeah, yellow situation. I remember that. <laughs> I was coming through East Horseshoe and, you know, at 30 miles an hour. And um, the EV vehicles were just creeping out of their barrier because they said they wouldn't roll without a pace car. Well, they rolled. And I just kind of passed them doing 35. And 13 hours later, same exact spot, the split yellow came out. And the I'm slowing down from 90 to 30, and the EV vehicles go by me at 70 because right. they knew the all 90 129 cars at the time 
would be slowing down. And at the end, they were just ecstatic. They couldn't believe that for 14 hours of racing at Daytona with 90 cars, they never sent the pace car out. And it was pretty spectacular, actually. Right. All right. So um, so what makes sure that everybody goes to 35, James? I mean, because there's going to be one guy. I don't I, yeah. I, I could get I could get an advantage here because nobody's going to know that I'm I'm driving 50. <laughs> right. Answer that <laughs> I can answer that. It happened, <laughs> it happened to me. <laughs> so, in in race control, um, and and talking about the safety workers, we we have visibility for where the safety workers are and where the cars are, and we we can often see um, just with GPS uh, where a car has gone off and what kind of incident's going to be really far ahead. So we get a lot of predictive power just visually. And we get a lot of reduction of radio chatter, just saying like, where where is ambulance two? Where is rollback five? That kind of thing. But um, in terms of the enforcement, um, the way that it's set up when you go to the flag, there's a speed in the software that will trigger a a warning, and then it will tell the operator who how fast the car has actually gone at peak. So if you cross the threshold, then it will show up on the screen, and it will show the speed as the car is going around. And then it will have an infraction log, and in the infraction log, it'll tell you exactly what speed uh, they were doing and, and where they peaked out. So uh, certainly with with Stamp Car, um, they've had people come in and start to argue, and then it's in it's in the log. Uh, it, it's there pretty pretty clearly, and and we can see, and then we're we have the recording of it and everything, so we can say, okay, well, this is this is where you did it. This was the speed. This is what happened. All right. And, so uh, um, there's I nothing they. I'm going to say something with the fear that everyone who's watching is going to click away, but I'm going to say it anyway. All right. Okay. When we're done with this podcast and not before, <laughs> do mm -hmm. a search in YouTube for Champ Car Marching Ants. Okay. <sighs> and they now put this, this system up on YouTube full time during most races. I don't know if it's all races, but I think now it's pretty much all races. Um, and it is what Matt, um, I keep saying master control. I'm a TV guy what race control is looking at during the race. And it is a map of the track and every car, every unit, everything that has one of your flagtronic units is on the map. And you literally see the ants marching around the racetrack with a car number um, so that we know which car is doing what. And that is the GPS, which then gives the log so that people know when someone is not playing by the rules. Um, what's also really cool about that is for the teams, they can watch that during the race. I think it's a bigger deal in an in an endurance race, probably Todd, than it is in a sprint race like we do. Um, no, not at all. No, I talk to me. No, it's not. Nowadays, it's not even SCCA and the SOMs calling the black flag, which has been a lot recently. It's someone from ISC at the major tracks calling in and saying, "Black flag the entire field. You've got a flat toe at the kink." a flat toe at the kink and we're black flagging the entire field for 15 minutes while they get the flat toe. Then they let us go for a two lap sprint. Right. And it's not even as the SOMs doing it. They know of yellow flag and a white flag, but someone at a different level is there saying that's unsafe. Get everybody in before we send the flat toe. So if we had this at SCCA, you never have to worry about that anymore because we're doing 35, which is what, stopped it for champ car right 
Right. And, and we've got that at specific tracks. Uh, a nice example is Watkins. Um, so VIR and Watkins, uh, both of them won't do those those hot poles unless they're they have the code 35. And, and we uh, basically managed to convince uh, both of the tracks and, and there are going to be more tracks over time that this is a this increases the safety. Um, this allows you to do hot poles. And here's we're going to be able to show you that. And so, on the flip side. We've got some tracks, James, that will do hot poles under right. a yellow. And I, I don't know, Todd, did you, were you at Road America? I was. Okay. There were some hot poles at Road America, and, and, and it's, it's half props to the EVs because they'll go out and pull hot poles during anything. Um, but I saw some things as I'm broadcasting that I just, we were, we were a razor blade from disaster on several occasions. Yeah. Because guys are trying to do what they do because that's our rules, trying to catch up because they can, and this eliminates that completely. A hundred percent. I mean, they're the last track that we visit that will do hot poles. Right. Uh, Road America. And I Button mean, Willow. Those guys, are, those guys are nuts, but they do it. Yeah, Button um, Willow does them also. Who? Button Willow out here. Button Willow. Okay. But yeah. Road America is the last track in the U.S. that does hot poles, and. Um, everywhere else I've been, it's been a flat toe, a double yellow, bring them in, right. pull the flat toe, and then let everybody go out again. And that's that. And even in sprint races, it becomes more important because if you're inside the pit lane for 15 minutes during a 30 minute race, you've, and, and the outlaps yep. five minutes, basically it gives you six minutes. And a lot of SOMs won't let you go back out to finish those six minutes because you won't even get around to get to the green. Right. So this will allow for a lot, and and I've thrown the anyway, yeah. It'll help short term races. I mean, I I threw the uh, you know threw it out there. Said, look, let's let's get one class at the runoffs that fully is enveloped in with this Flagtronics units in their cars and run a race and get the data and see if they ever have a pace car. Yeah. You know, if they have 40 minutes, if it's a 40 minute race and they have 30 minutes of racing with a double yellow at 30 at red 30 and SM is out there for 40 minutes and we get 10 minutes of racing under green. Well, because it, we have to wait, it's a lot of it's a lot of track time. A we, lot of green. we actually have an opportunity to do that because the 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 spec MX5 national series <laughs> is going to run at with us. I think it's a spec MX5, right? In the runoffs. And and since they're not running for an SCCA national championship, we could put all those cars under this and run a race that way and not have it, you know, be controversial for a national championship race to run like that. So we can show people how it works. So there is an opportunity there for that exact demonstration, um, you know, or you could just watch a champ car live race and see how it works. Watch the VIR 24 um it, it was there several times as well but um but i think with, like anything people want to see it and touch it and feel it and and work with it themselves right yeah and in champ car they do uh basically you go green yellow purple right. 35 then yellow then back to green so there there are workflows that the um series can dictate there so that they can change the way that the cars pack up or don't pack up depending on how they want to do it Sure. Um, and even when we don't use Code 35, we've managed to save several laps for series where um, we have complete visibility over who's who's the leader, who's the tail, 
Where is the car? Where's the incident? Where are the safety vehicles? So we can see where does the safety vehicle come in? Are they pulling them off track? Are they pulling them out of, um, you know, basically a, a pullout area in, a, in turn five or something like that? And then as soon as they're out, we can say, okay, car's coming around. We can throw the, set the safety car's lights off, um, or we can have the safety car pick up the lead faster, or we can show where the tail is in the pack and say, okay, Evie, you can go, go, go now. Um, even under a, a yellow flag situation where we wouldn't normally have been able to before because we can tell them exactly where the cars are. Right. So then they, you know, if they have to go three corners down and we can tell them where the gap is, assuming you're in a series that has a, has a gap, if right. you're, if you're packed with 150 cars, you know, it, it changes things a little bit, but sure. um, still we're, we're, we're able to see so much about the vehicles around the track, the incident, where everything is that, we give race control the power to um, get much more precise about what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. And we've ended up changing workflows quite a bit um, at different tracks that we've gone to and with different orgs we work with. Right. Uh, so yeah. give, me, give me a second, guys. I want to just do a quick little bit of business here. And then uh, when we come back, um, let's go over some of the pros and cons that were thrown out when this all happened. And uh, we can kind of work our way through that. Uh, we'll do that in just a second. Don't go anywhere. I uh, just want to take an opportunity real quick to thank everybody for uh, who <laughs> helps us make this happen. Goodyear uh, is our official presenting sponsor at the runoffs this year. Just like last year, cannot thank them enough for all of their support there. Uh, Mazda Motorsports has jumped on board to be our presenting sponsor for our uh, coverage from uh, the SCCA Solo Nationals, the 50th running of the Solo, Solo Nationals. Uh, starting next week, um, getting ready to head out here on Friday to drive over to Lincoln because I'm actually going to compete at the Solo Nationals. Uh, I have lost some screws in my brain, so I'm actually going to produce four podcasts and compete. Uh, uh, compete's probably a very loose term for me. Uh, my, my whole goal is to not finish last, so that's my level of competition. Um, it's good to be in a car that no one expects to be classed well, so uh, I have very low expectations. Um, but anyway, thanks a lot to Mazda uh, for helping us get there and being part of our, our deal with that. And then uh, Racekeeper is the official in-car video uh, uh, provider of Inside the SCCA. Uh, big thank you to those guys. I will have one of their units in the car at Solo National, so you'll all be able to giggle along with how slow I am. And uh, that will be a very large entertainment. That's the comedy portion of our of our show. We're going to have that. So uh, a big thank you to all of the folks who are helping us out with that. Uh, our solo coverage, it's going to be, I, I believe we're going to do a show Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. And uh, we're going to do a lot more on the behind the scenes and the slice of life and talking about the personalities. We're going to talk with some of the 100 percenters. Those are folks who've been at every single one of Driven and every single one of the 50 uh, solo nationals. There's six of them. And uh, so we're going to have some of those on the show. And uh, obviously, we'll talk with just a whole bunch of cool people. So uh, that'll start next Tuesday. Um, keep an eye on the channel. Subscribe and like if you want to be warned and alerted uh, when those broadcasts come up. And uh, we will have those for you next week. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. 
Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, let's get right back to it, guys. That was, um, um, so when this was announced, um, the, uh, the interwebs, the face, the face boobs, uh, went, went crazy. Some of them, uh, with a lot of questions, a lot of criticisms, a lot of folks who didn't know a lot about what the system was. Um, the first one and most vocal probably was, oh, we're getting, we're getting rid of flaggers. That's not what we're doing, James, right? No, um, we, we specifically have a remote. And again, we, the crew at our company at Flagtronics, we're, we're all racing. We, we want flaggers to be out there. We want right. to be able to hear things. We want to be able to have someone smelling things. Um, you know, our system gives visibility, visibility to some of the cameras to help them pan and look at those tracks that have advanced camera systems, but that's not many tracks. And even then the, the person on the ground in that stand is critically important. Right. Um, in race control, there's information that we're getting back that is you know, still very important. I, I still very much want them out there and we, we give them these remotes and um, make them portable and friendly and easy to use um, so that they will use them, which they do. But, but your units don't smell or hear. They do not. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> so, so, I mean, sorry for the, maybe sorry. we could put some hearing sensors <laughs> in there with some AI something, but. Certainly not smell. That's yeah. that's nowhere on the horizon. Yeah, and, there's and no hearing. there's no smell GPT. It's only chat GPT. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, fire oil. Um, right. You know, the tires rubbing, uh, stuff like that. There's no, there's nothing. There's no substitute. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah. So so now, we do want to make sure that we we empower those people to be able to change these in the morning. You know, things happen. Somebody doesn't show up. Someone isn't feeling well. Something happens. So the system is very flexible to be, to be able to deal with a lot of situations and to try, again, just to try to help everyone get the job done and keep the track as safe as possible. Right. And, you know, there are there are places where um, there's a lot more flaggers than others. And yeah. um, fl- recruiting flaggers is a huge problem for all regions around the country right now. Um, and especially during the week for n- non pro events. And sure. that's. When we're talking about, you know, some of the automation and things that our system can do, you know, the, some of those questions are coming up for, for situations where they aren't manning the stands right now. And it's they're just making the, the scenario safer right. for that, you know, Wednesday event that's not sanctioned by anybody. Right. Really. And, and let's I also want to make something else clear, because when I did talk with the, with National about this, um, our rule book's not changing. So the requirement is still to have flaggers staffing every station. And, um, and that is not, there's no plans to change that. Um, but there's a stark reality out there that I don't know who's, you know, trying to or not trying to talk about it. But um, even in club races in some parts of the country, on occasion, there is a flag station that doesn't have a flagger at it. Um, and this just, it won't. This system doesn't help you with with letting someone know what's happening at that flag station, but it does give the opportunity to have people driving through that flag station know that there's a full course yellow or a purple 35 or a red flag because those calls come from from master from from race control and not from the corners themselves 
and just adds will add another level of safety. Yeah, so. and so for some of the events that we're at, you're you're going to have you know a Friday practice or a Thursday practice or something, and you've got seventy five percent of the the stations manned, and usually that's just because they can't get people in um, that kind of thing. And there is programming to allow someone to do multiple stands. Uh, the software will allow you to do multiple stands all from from race control. Um, but you know, again, our focus is to to have people in those stands as often as possible using the control and getting the information to us. That's that's really the easiest um, and most efficient scenario whenever whenever it's available. Right. Another uh, another um, post that I saw a couple of places was just another thing that Nationals making us spend money on. So um, yeah. welcome to racing. I'll start with that. I'm going to I'm sure a lot of people will love me, but racing is not an inexpensive sport. And, yeah. you know, we have to spend money on things, uh, safety changes, and we upgrade things. You know, everybody didn't, nobody wanted to spend the money on a Hans device. Todd, would you get into a car without a head and neck restraint? No. Okay. That's a simple no. No. You know, so, so you know, the sport evolves. Um, James, how much does the unit cost? So it's two two fifty. Okay. Um, I, I had to recertify my Hans last year. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah, it was another... I, I would not step into. I wouldn't get into a vehicle without one of those. Right. Yeah. So it's 250, and um, I think one of the really big distinguishing features about our system compared to other systems is that um, we we don't have any subscription fee. There's nothing that you pay for after you pay 250 and you're you're done. So we're talking about these days the cost or less of a tire for most most of the run groups. Um, it's a one-time spend, and I, I, I don't want to gatekeep safety. That's been a strong ethos for us from from the get go. We we've been we're budget racers too. Um, we're familiar with subscription fees um, coming in and really upsetting a lot of people, and that's not what we want to do. And from the perspective of our system compared to other offerings, we we just don't think that you can go to the track and be forced to to pay a value or not get a feature set that is safety. This is a safety sure. function, it's a safety device. It needs to work and it needs to work reliably uh, as often as possible. You know, it needs to be good all the time, basically. So um, our our focus is on, on making sure that everyone at the track is safer, that administration is easier and that racing is smoother and better for everyone. We. Some of the people we're racing with that we want to have this to make us safe as racers also. They're not going to spend a lot of money and they're going to balk at a subscription. So we want to be safe when we're on track too. So that was Brian. One key note of safety that you guys keep forgetting is the internal G meter. So if somebody hits the wall at 70 miles an hour and the internal G meter goes crazy, it alerts race control to say, all right, we got two on the track. One hit at, 70 g's go there first the other one's a flat toe sure one in the wall and you know it'll it'll signal the uh race director to say hey that's a pretty big hit and yeah we have uh notifications for the accident and we have a, a button to press there to to tell us that the driver is um aware conscious um and and capable of of responding um, we've had incidents where um people have have had a wreck and they've pressed the button afterwards we know they're responsive. We know the uh, what G value they hit with. 
Um, and then we've had ones that have been some high G hits that um, somebody wasn't responsive. And, and you can prioritize what to do, where, and how, not just from the EV side of things, but also from the race control side of things. If you see someone with an extraordinarily high G hit, we can throw the flag and get safety there faster. Not, not just because the safety vehicle knows which one to go to, which they do now, but also because we can throw a uh, red flag or we can throw yellow or, or, or purple faster and get attention to them faster. So, um, you know, we're talking about sometimes this is in the scale of, of minutes potentially because of the way some of the communication systems work at, at some tracks. So if you're the back of track, to be able to get all the information sort of down a chain of events to say if somebody's responsive or not and how hard was the hit. Um, there's a lot of radio chatter that goes back and forth and, and we have that information instantly. So um, we can we can cut a lot of time, a lot of emergency response time out of it. And in some cases, it's not all cases, but in some cases it gets pretty significant. And, and I think there's another layer to that that is, you know, we can have hits now and have no idea what the violent level of that hit was. And yeah. sometimes drivers drive away from those hits or walk away without any issue. And this gives race control an opportunity to, to let the medical folks know so that those people can ask some different questions to determine how well that driver is before they get back into the fray. Um, and, yeah. um, I think that's important because drivers, Todd, you guys are both drivers, James. You want to don't want to tell anybody that you've that you're not fit. You want to get back in a race car a lot of times, and sometimes we're not as smart as we think we are. Um, yeah. And it just gives another level of 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 opportunity for the safety for the folks who are running the events to go and have a conversation. Hey, Brian, you hit that wall at sixty G. How do you feel? You know, and then you go back to him the next morning and ask the same question. How do you feel? Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I've personally had a couple of, of concussive hits on on track over my racing years. So I, I, I feel that it's um, absolutely critical to get that information um, to to race control. And one thing that we do when we first started the, the project, um, we had some information at race control. Usually we'd just be showing the race director our computer, the information. Now we actually create different views. And in some instances, uh, it, it depends on the track and who's working, but we will often get a view in front of whoever's doing EMS safety. We'll get a view in front of whoever's doing the flag calls. We'll get a view in front of the race director. Um, we'll get a view in front of, depending on, on how it's organized, um, it might be a, a series director versus a, a race director right. or, a, um, you know, whoever's doing the command control and, and race control. Right. So at the end of some of these events, we've, we've got six or seven um, views up for different people through the TV broadcast system, or we're setting up HDMI cables or wirelessly transmitting that information or setting it up on their laptops um, or computers. And we're giving them this information with the visibility that they want to see. Um, you know, the view that EMS has is going to be uh, where are all the ambulances, where are the safety vehicles sure. and that kind of thing. And then also if there's an accident, you know, where is that? And then what the race director wants to see is typically a little bit different. And what timing and scoring wants to see, they they want to know, all right, this transponder failed, which is a thing that happens. When are they coming across so that they can manually count 
or check their laps because we also have um, some timing and scoring in our system. And um, there, there have been more than a few occasions now where we've been able to reconcile or correct or supplement um, the that information or just provide outright full timing and scoring for, for an event. Right. So, um, and I, I want to say one more time, I did it off the top of the show. Um, I, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't think even SCCA knows right now how they're going to implement the system, what kind of, what, what amount of features they're going to go at right at the start. I suspect as time goes by, they will evolve to using most of what you guys offer them. Um, you know, so we don't know exactly how the rollout's going to be. Todd, I think you, did they say that they were going to use this for the entire Super Tour next year, mandatory? It's undetermined right okay. now. Um, I know they were looking at it, yes. Um, and you know, kind of a soft rollout for the runoffs, and then you need the track participation with all the rentals, and and it's it's a pretty big swing. But yeah, I, right. I, I hope I hope it is. Because um, really, it it doesn't work if every car doesn't have it. It doesn't. It's 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 kind of a. It's got to be mandatory, hundred right. percent. Which is, it can't be. Well, and it's interesting because I don't know how it's going to happen at the runoffs if fifty percent of the spec Miata field has it. And 50% doesn't. So if a double yellow comes out and I see it in my car, I slow down, the cars behind me are looking for the flag and they run into the back of me. So I don't know how that's actually going to work out if 100% of the cars don't have it. I, it could actually become more detrimental than it is good yeah. um, for that. And in the process, like you said, I've, we, I've watched fan, uh, Flagtronics grow over the past two years and all the different firmware updates. Um, it has uh, it's really grown to what it is today, where it seems to work the best. So what I would say is, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't right. take two years to reinvent what Champ Car, what TA2 has figured out over the past two years. This is the best procedure. Follow these procedures from day one, and now you're running at 100 miles an hour, wide open, instead right. of two years of getting to where somebody is today you know because what yeah. camp car has today is pretty phenomenal so so seca it tends to on occasion no tends to is often a little slowed on the uptake when it comes to technology i'll just put it out there i'm not to say anything that anybody at national doesn't know <laughs> um but i think in this particular situation they're they're being a little cautious or slower to jump into this um james that you and champ car have spent the last, has it been two years since they started? I thought it was a little longer even. Yeah, actually much longer. So talking about the, you know, having partial uh, coverage in a series, we we had, when we first started, one car in the series that had the system. Yeah. It was our car. And uh, then we had uh, a few friends running them, and um, they were very happy to get the that information as quickly as they could, both from the safety perspective, but also... Um, when we press a button that says green, it was faster than the radio call that says green, 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 sure. <laughs> go, go, go. Um, so we we built it up from there. It was five cars, 10 cars, then 20, 30, uh, and continued until it was a full mandate. Right. Um, so, so we we didn't have, um, as we were going through that, uh, there definitely was concern about whether or not that was going to be problematic. And Fortunately, we've, we've kind of been able to prove out that it, it didn't 
prove problematic for the series as we were in partial engagement with it. Um, But 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 I'll say for SCCA, just in talking uh, with them, um, I I think they've seen what's what's available out there. I think they've seen um, once you sort of get this system in your frame of reference, you start to see incidents that could be prevented. Right. And you start to see things that could be done better. And once it's in your your um, thought process, I think they've seen more and more. And they're I think they're very eager to to move as as quickly as the sure. organization reasonably can. And and it, it one thing that is very clear to me: they have an intense commitment mm-hmm. to safety and to keeping the um, racers safe and the and and everyone involved safe. So right. I think they're 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 doing a, a pretty good job here where some of the the sort of um prior changes might have been a little slower. I think this one is going to move uh, pretty quickly because yeah. the advantages are are so clear cut. The the point I was trying to make um is that SCCA is buying a system that while no system is perfect, most of the bugs yeah. and kinks have been worked out thanks to Champ Car. Um, th- yeah. th- them partnering with you in yeah. a series um, to be using it now on a regular basis. Um, now the next series that buys it, whether it's SCCA or fill in the blank name series, is going to get what is essentially, in my opinion, a turnkey system that you guys can quickly adapt to that series's needs. And from day one, it's ready to go. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That that's a that's a really good point. It's been and to answer the timing question directly, that's been in cars or car since 2016. So it's a it's a long development cycle. Sure. Um, and the inception for that is is prior to that. But um, and we've been working piece by piece. When in 2016, um, you know, it seems like a simple idea, and I think one of the more um, one of the compliments we've gotten from a fair few people is oh that's a great idea and essentially they tell us they could do it in a weekend um Mm -hmm. so you know good for them they they (laughs) agree with the idea um and i feel i always just take it as a compliment that they see the potential that they see that it is useful they see how it can help racers um i'd say that the their development timeline of finishing it in a weekend might be a little misguided (laughs) you know having done it for years now but um, it, there's a lot of nitty gritty. There's a lot of detail. There are a lot of things that you have to get right. And there are a lot of, um, people you have to convince right. and people that you have to work with to, to be able to hand this to, to somebody and then have them seamlessly work with it. Or, you know, that was the corner remote, um, hand this to somebody in race control, understand what the marching ants are, understanding the nuances of the system and be able to, to use it in a way it does make everyone safer, um, make, give you more green track time, um, and just make racing, uh, better and more efficient in general. Right. You touched on it earlier about the, the subscription and, and the, the, the question is, um, is there, is there a guarantee? And I hate to put, put you on the spot, uh, that this system will not go to a subscription model. Because that's a concern for people. Because I think that's what happened yeah. with the transponders. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're, um, we're familiar. We have some of the old transponders that don't require subscriptions ourselves. Where, where I 
I think when you're, we come from the grassroots side of things. Right. So that's, that's where we race. So we're, we're deeply familiar with that. Um, and I'll say that at the higher ends of motorsports, they don't care that that subscription fee is irrelevant to them. Um, right. So you can understand, I can understand the logic that some of the other, our other competitors have, but where we come from is grassroots. Where we come from is, is that low end. So um, we, we do plan to have subscriptions that are completely optional and it will give people more features and more capability with the system. Um, in other words, uh, one of the things that we, we plan to do is to be able to have a subscription that allows you to see where your car is through uh, a web applet, basically. See what your condition is, see if your driver, if they've wrecked, if something's going on, um, you know, you'd be able to get some, some information from it and that kind of thing. Um, that would be completely optional. So on the safety side, the core function that the device has, what it's doing right now, yes, we I can guarantee that we are not going to create a subscription for that function. I absolutely do not want to gatekeep safety in any way. I, I think that the device has to, you have to be able to show up and it has to work, period. You can't, I can't, I can't come back and say, okay, well, you need to pay uh, $99 or something like that for this to work. You're going to go out there and you're not going to be safe for your first stint because you just forgot to pay a thing or your credit card expired or something like that. that to me, that's just a non-starter. Um, and I, I get frustrated with the services that age out and I have to update something myself. So, right. um, so the, 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 the nuance is that we do plan optional features that people can buy into that they're, uh, Spectators can see that um, friends and the teams can see um, that are that are in the future. But there's there's no we're not going to get peep safety and we're not going to have any required subscriptions to function. I would think in the future, if you become a full timing and scoring function, then you can subscribe because I think that goes way beyond the 249. And most everybody once it's in, there's no recurring revenue for you guys to function. Yeah. So I think in the future, if you become a full, um, you know, uh, race monitor, then I think you can, I think you're safe at some nominal number. Right. And, and you, you know, beyond the sort of um, race monitors and, or, you know, let's we'll just say apps that, that show you timing and scoring information beyond those, we'll be able to show you where your car is on, on track. Um, I know a lot of the radio calls we've, we've had is like, where, where's the car? It didn't come around this lap. Where where is it? Right. <laughs> we expected right. them here by now. Um, and then radio comms get lost sometimes. Um, or you know, it you might not be a team. You might be an individual with a friend, or you might be an individual with your you know a family or something like that. And they just want to know um, where the car is and are you safe? You know, one of the things. By the way, two hundred and forty nine dollars for what you put into this system is just a remarkable dollar price point for the technology that goes into automating the gps and making it work with all these different monitors to to input and output devices and 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 it is it is a tremendous uh testament to what you guys have done to be able to offer it at a 249 dollar price point um that said you know a series that travels from track to track to track that can buy a system and take it from one race to another um is 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 how a lot of it's being done right now 
But now we also have all of our individual regions who are running races all around um, the country, many op- multiple races per weekend um, through through the U.S. And I don't know if you can if you can talk about it, but but if I'm if I'm Cal Club or Milwaukee region and I want to use this system, what's it going to cost me to have to run this system to buy the, the bits and pieces to run the system? I think um, what, what we're going to end up with is just looking ahead is that tracks are, are going going to start picking up hardware. They're going to have hardware when some of the orgs arrive. Mm. And in cases where that's that's not a scenario, there are regions who are looking to cooperate on some of the equipment. Um, in terms of the cost to get a, a full setup to be able to, to run the system, it's, it's actually very low and fractional compared to... Um, some of the existing very sort of high-end systems that are out there now. It, it depends on which hardware is used and what level they want. But right. for a mom-and-pop track, you're, you're talking about, you know, somewhere in the like $1,000, $1,500 range to give them their hardware to a full full package that can run at the biggest um, road race tracks um, that's, that's closer to, I think, the 15, 20 grand-ish. And then you start to get into panels, and that obviously gets more expensive just on the basis of physical hardware and, and um, right. having people put it out there if you're traveling with it. So it, it can scale up, uh, but again, this this is um, a, a cost level that is unprecedented. Um, there, there's no other um, operation that's that's similar in terms yeah. of the the cost to the devices in terms of the recurring cost in terms of um the physical hardware at the racetrack so it does make more sense that a track that's going to have 300 dates a year and would use this for 300 dates a year would bear the cost um and maybe even with partnership with a club if they needed to to get it going it makes more sense for the tracks to own the system than it does for the clubs to own the system right yeah, there there are different approaches. Um, we we've been working at the organizational level mostly, um, and you know you always end up with this sort of uh, potential chicken or egg problem or VHS or beta scenario right. um, where we've been proving it out for years. We've we've got uh, strong success in in now a few series, and um, you know talking about that price point and everything, we. We have a feature set and capability and um, cost of adoption point that's un, unparalleled. So, um, we're I think uh, things are looking pretty good uh, going forward in terms of uh, the chain of adoption there for the orgs and for the tracks. Um, but yeah. you know these things don't happen overnight. So we we've we've known. I, I mentioned uh, 2016 having the unit in a car. Um, in hindsight, I, we would have put more resources in earlier back back then. Um, it's gone up and up and up, ticked up over time. But um, we've always had a long term vision for yeah. this, um, and it it's really it's really been a bit self serving in the sense that we want to make it safer for ourselves too. Sure, uh, but it, it, it's a really it's a really easy way in our minds to bring technology that's that's been somewhat proven but bring it to a price point that that we can make it available to all of north american racing and right. then 
um, you know, continue from there. Todd, I'm going to give you the, the last two questions because um, right. we're, we're beyond time. I try to keep these to an hour. We're, we're, we're at hour seven now. Um, but I think it's an important topic and a lot of people are interested. So, But I'm going to give you the last two questions. Um, the first question is um, the biggest complaint I hear. Now, I've, I've been the Super Tour announcer for this last season. And, um, um, and I've seen all of the chatter in the years before. And it seems to not be getting better, but getting worse. Um, but the biggest, I mean, we have, we have a green to checker program now because of this. Um, the biggest complaint I hear is that we don't get enough track time because we spend too much time under full course yellow. Doesn't yes. this not eliminate that, but make it a whole lot better? A hundred percent. Um, again, it's becoming not even an SOM right. issue. It becomes the track issue that they want to see, you know, all the cars marching around at 35 miles an hour, they'll send the EV. As I said before, we've run 14 hours and the longest, the longest double yellow stint was nine minutes. The shortest was five, you know, a, 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 a car lost it right in front of the EV. They towed it off. As it pulled off, we went back to yellow to green. So five minutes under a red 35, not even time to pit. Um, and it will change the way we race in SCCA in today's world. In the old world, you know, they threw a yellow and a white flag and right. they sent the EV team. And that's not the case anymore. Yeah. No matter where you race now, they want people either in the pits or under black or you know, they're just not going to do a hot pull anymore. And, and we haven't even talked about this part, and we could probably spend another 20 minutes on this. But, um, you know, if I'm a if I'm the pointy end of the stick and I've worked my tail off to get myself a 25 second lead, um, there's a double yellow and that lead disappears 100%. with this with this system. All that work is not for naught, um, which changes the way we do it. People have to think about racing, too. Yeah, well, I think the thing that that happened that my my one time I was black flagged for doing 45 miles an hour when it was 35, you know, it came up and it said black flag. And I was like, OK, I'm not sure what I did wrong. And then they said you were speeding under the 35. I went up to the tower and they were like, right here, you were doing 45 miles an hour, instant feedback. Everyone else was doing 35. Okay, I screwed up. Guess what? I've never been black flagged for speeding under 35 again. Yeah. It's just the limit they want to set. The num the marker that James spoke of could be 38. Right. Could be 36, you know, for more than 10 seconds. And that instant feedback gives the driver, hey, look, I'm doing 35. And as you saw in my video, I was 100 yards behind that car. Nine minutes later, I was 100 yards behind that car. And when it went, you know, and, and if it's a 45-minute sprint race, the only thing you're doing is looking at that flagtronics, waiting for it to go yellow to speed back up to full speed. And you know that the, the instant's been cleared if it goes back to yellow. Right. So it's a lot different in a 24-hour race. You get a little lazadaisical in the car and you're kind of looking at things and, right. you know, it goes back. So you go, but um, it completely makes it a whole lot safer and a whole lot more green track time. Right. All right. So you're our, our national champion. You're our SCCA street cred person here. What <laughs> You've used the system a ton. What right. what have we not? Is there one thing or something through our whole conversation here that we probably should have talked about that we didn't? Well, I think you touched on it. I think that um, 
in SCCA in sprint car or in, in SCCA and in champ car, um, say you're a two car team, you and your wife go to the racetrack and you're in B spec or spec, spec racer Ford and you're 70 if on the grid. Well, you're coming down and you're not even through hog pen when the green flag flies. You're now in car shows a green flag and you're heading towards the green flag. It, you know, it, it basically tells you instant it goes green and you don't even make it to start finish. There's a wreck. It instantly goes yellow and you're not coming through the kink at 180 miles an hour and not realize that there's a split yellow and I got to slow down to 35. There were some horrible wrecks at Road America and it would totally eliminate those wrecks because instantly you'd see that it was a split yellow and I'm slowing down at a blind kink doing 127 miles an hour, whatever it is, 117 miles an hour, whatever it is. But um, there were some pretty horrible wrecks and I think it will eliminate a lot of that. Um, real quickly, we were at the 14 hours of, of Sebring and between the carousel and the hairpin under the bridge, a BMW turned hard left. It lost the left hub front hub hard turned hard left and wrecked and it was right between the two corner workers completely black and nobody could see it but you saw two tires rolling down and instantly we went double yellow and uh, they were able to get the ev vehicles there and the corner workers really didn't even see what was going on i think it was the tower that got that emergency flag that 70 mile an hour 70 g impact that threw the double yellow so it was a huge you know, it was, I didn't see the car for two laps. Uh, didn't know why we were a double yellow. I'm like, I don't know. And then I saw the the silver body over there and it was completely destroyed, but the tower saw it immediately and threw the double yellow immediately when nobody else knew what was going on. So it's a huge, it was a huge um, savior for that guy who had to sit in the car for less than a few minutes versus nobody even, right. you know, I saw a tire rolling down the road and I didn't even know where the car was it's going yeah. down into the hairpin. So you know, it, it's it's huge for the guy sitting in the car with the big wreck. Yeah, we we have found lost cars at night. That is a thing that's happened. So the, during a twenty four uh, a few years ago now, a car went off, basically went into the woods um, and went past a flag stand. Nobody could figure the, out where they were, but we could see them on GPS and then direct the the tow vehicle over there to actually go pick them up. All right. Uh, it's a huge it's a huge advantage to SCCA to any um, sanctioning body that decides to go that way. And if the track has the actual basic units or has the uh, the network and everybody shows up with the flagtronics in their car, it's it would be a pretty special thing. Um, I was at a body shop today. It was a nine nine one dot two car, and it had the flagtronics unit mm. on the dash. And the person fixing it didn't even know what it was. What is that thing? I said, that's a Flagtronics unit. Yeah. So the car was in a series, you know, a 991.2 that had been wrecked pretty bad that was getting fixed. It had a Flagtronics unit in it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's it's really catching on. It's really getting big. So cool story. Any last any last stuff, James, that we should have talked about that we didn't? Um, one thing I want to touch on, the, the Code 35 now does have um, a speed indication where when you get to 35... 35 or below, it's saying 35 and staying there. Above 35, it'll flash and flip and say slow. And then above uh, another threshold, it's uh, 40 miles an hour, it starts to say slow, slow, and then flash very quickly. So there's some sort of escalation in in the messages. They tr um, you've really tried to make it idiot-proof. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. Everybody wanted kind of their own screens, and we got a lot of feedback over the years. Um, we actually have polled people and and taken surveys and that kind of thing, and and checked with people, and we've we've really drilled it down to keep it simple but effective. Simplicity has always been really important because you can build a lot of complexity in the system that people who are racing once or twice a year just they're, it's not going to be effective with them. Right. Um, and it needs to be effective and intuitive. So we're, we, we try to keep it there, but it's also customizable per series. I, I think the, maybe the biggest thing that I'd point out is that there, there's a lot that happens. The racer perspective it is somewhat straightforward in the sense that you're gonna see what the flags are. Um, you can get pulled from the car faster if you have a wreck, you can get more green flag racing time. It's inexpensive, there's no subscription. That's that I feel like is pretty straightforward, but what people don't see as much are, and we, we talked about it a little bit um, at a few points, is how much race control gains from the system. Right. It's how much more effective the calls can be, how much faster the calls can be, how much um, safer they can make the track, and how much more efficient that they're able to make the track. And when we talk about sort of the chatter um, I mentioned earlier chatter on the radios and race control. Well, there are multiple radios working at any given point between multiple parts of the track for different systems. Um, we get to reduce that chatter just dramatically because you can see where all the safety vehicles are. You can see what speed everybody is going if you need to. You can see um, just so so much detail on, on the back end. And um, it safety crews, um, Corner marshals, uh, race directors really get excited after they've used the used the system sure. and seen all the features. Um, that's hard to convey to the racer that everything gets better on the back end, on the administrative side of things, so that that we can make better calls, keep you safer, um, and also in some series we've had they they used to have a lot of uh, disputes for passing under yellow and that sort of thing that have been virtually eliminated with um, the data that we're, we're able to, to get back and uh, video information and so on. So right. it, it makes, it's not just in one place. It, it, it's a system, it's a rare scenario where it, it is, it does cost money. <laughs> sure. Not, it's, not, it's not free, but it's a rare um, win-win across the board for the people doing safety, for race administration, for racers themselves, uh, for Cardinal marshals who can get the information to the driver. Um, everybody gets to, to come out of head for a relatively low investment. And one of the, the more common things I, I hear when I explain the system to people who aren't in racing is, um, oh, they don't have that in all of racing already? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that already a thing? Like, why would you not have that? Right. Like it's the most obvious possible thing, right? Right, and I always take that as a as a compliment too. Like, yeah, yeah why why wouldn't you have it? <laughs> it does it does seem obvious in retrospect, and then most most people's experience with racing is only on the high end. So, right, right. Um, we get to bring this to all of all of North American racing and just make it uh, the the default and safer for everybody. Yeah, Brian, I'm going to add one more thing: is that um, I'm friendly with a lot of the SOMs at each event. Yep. And the, one of the biggest things they have a hard time with is when they make a call, pass under yellow, come up to the tower, is that they don't have the naughty list 
right. the digital body list to say you were speeding or you were speeding down pit lane or you passed under yellow. And this takes the argument away from the driver and gives it in the hands of the SOM. And uh, to do that, I think it takes a lot of load off them. And yeah. they seem to, you know, the, at least the SOMs at Champ Car seem to be a lot more, have a lot more strength behind their voice when they talk to a driver to yeah. say, yeah, I mean, here's all the digital signatures of what you did. Currently, those decisions are being made with soft data. You know, I saw it happen. I heard it happened. Now we have hard data, you know, Correct. which is harder to dispute. I mean, people will try to dispute it, but it's it's um, definitely a tool that I think will be helpful in in adjudicating stuff. Um, James, Todd, thank you uh, for a great hour and 20 minutes here. And thank you for doing it twice because we tried to do this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but I think it's a really important conversation. Uh, a lot of people were interested in it. Um, and I, I appreciate you both taking the time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network and the Racing Network on YouTube so you won't miss any episodes. It would be great if you'd leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. If it's a bad one, put it on someone else's social media channel. You can follow us on uh, uh, on Twitter, or X, I guess we call it now. Racing Wire Net is the handle there. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week, live on Wednesday nights. And then we have the podcast that launches on Fridays. I'm Brian Bolanski. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. Stay safe. Go play with cars. And tune in to our special coverage from Lincoln coming up. You guys have a great weekend. I'm Dorsey Schrader. And when I'm on my way to a race, I'll listen to the SCCA podcast inside the short bus inside the scca is a presentation of the racing wire podcast network and rural 15 productions this podcast is not affiliated with endorsed or sponsored by the sports car club of america the views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the scca